Part 2, Chapters 5 through 6 of The Origins of Christianity by Thomas Whitaker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Von Manen on the Pauline Literature. Part 2, The Epistle to the Romans. Chapter 5, Justification of the Proposed Explanation. In the light of the foregoing explanation, the epistle becomes more transparent. The whole in spite of its obscurities easier to understand many of the usual difficulties vanish of themselves we apprehend how it comes about that paul seems to put himself on a pedestal to regard himself as a high authority before whom friend and foe must bow and how at the same time we fail to get any clear idea of his relation to his readers it may be well, however, to add a few more points by way of confirmation. Paul in Acts We found in the Acts of the Apostles an authentic or historical Paul, a Pauline Paul, and a Paul who is on the way to become a Catholic Christian. The first is the Paul of the itinerary known as the We narrative. He is a traveling preacher in the service of the messianic principles of Peter and other disciples of Jesus. The second is a somewhat younger Paul, who has struck out a line of doctrine of his own, and has been made the hero of acts devoted to him. The third stands for an attempt to combine the different features in a single portrait. Paul is again approximated in date to the disciples, but he has his own gospel to advocate, and yet he teaches precisely what the other apostles teach. We now see that the Pauline Paul is essentially identical with the Paul of the epistles, though in the canonical epistle to the Romans, the transition to the Catholic portraiture may already be perceived. Thus, there is no longer anything inexplicable in the legendary features of the apostle that appear in writings attributed to him, since, to those who wrote in his name, he was not the historical person, but the ideal figure of the Acts of Paul. We can explain also why the author of the Pauline Acts, worked up by Luke into his own composition, made no use of the epistles, which, on the assumption that they are genuine, would be inexplicable. In reality, the epistles came later than the first legendary narrative. The Younger Contemporary of Peter According to the ordinary view, Paul was one for the new confession about three years after the immediate disciples of Jesus had begun to preach. How, then, does he come, at least seventeen years later, to ascribe such seniority to others in comparison with himself, as we find presupposed in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17, and in the passages of Corinthians, where he numbers himself among the last of the apostles? After that length of time, a difference of three years would have seemed negligible, a much longer interval is presupposed by Marcion. In Tertullian against Marcion, 
book five chapter one who called him a new disciple and not the hearer of any one else by a passage of the muratorian fragment where he is said to have followed the example of john in writing letters to seven churches revelations chapters two and three and by a certain nazarenes who according to jerome spoke of paul as novissimus apostolorum omnium if however the paul of paulinism was younger than the historical paul all this becomes explicable in the legend he is naturally imagined as continuing during his whole life to call peter and those of his group the apostles before him galilee and jerusalem the oldest tradition points to the assemblage of the disciples of jesus after his death first in galilee matthew chapter twenty eight verses seven ten sixteen and seventeen compare with chapter twenty six verse thirty two mark chapter sixteen verse seven john chapter twenty one we can follow in luke chapter twenty four and john chapter twenty the displacement of his appearances assigned to these days from galilee to jerusalem the actual sequence of events we may reasonably suppose to have been this the formation of a community in galilee extension of activity to jerusalem and establishment of a community there then finally such forgetfulness of the real order that jerusalem could be held to have been the seat of the apostles from the first all this would take time for the paul of the epistles however the community at jerusalem is unquestionably the oldest it has the priority in spiritual gifts this tacit acceptance of a later tradition again betrays the writer who lived after paul the old testament the historical paul according to the tubingen school had arrived at the doctrine called paulinism and therefore met with opposition from the judaizers he also wrote the principal epistles but those epistles purport to be addressed to communities or persons who coming from among the heathen had accepted his form of doctrine how then can he assume that they have the knowledge of the old testament which is necessary to follow his arguments are we to suppose that he devoted himself first to giving them thorough instruction in that law which according to his system they were not to practice it is all unintelligible on the supposition that paul himself wrote our epistles suppose them written later and the difficulty vanishes the then existing christian communities consisted of persons who whether jews by birth or proselytes were nourished on the old testament and were thus in the mental atmosphere required for appreciation of the pauline literature the writers had the edification of such communities in view and did not stop to consider that this could not have been the mental atmosphere of pauline christians who had come over 
without intermediary process from heathenism. Agreement and Difference The only hypothesis that satisfactorily explains the peculiar agreement in the style of the whole collection, and at the same time the differences not merely between one epistle and another, but between different parts of the same epistle, is that which has been set forth, namely, that none were written by the Apostle Paul, but that all proceeded from one circle or school. To suppose a genuine Pauline basis gives no help and is unnecessary, as is shown by the cases of the epistles attributed to Peter, James, John, Ignatius, and others. And the critics who maintain that there is such a basis are unable to agree even approximately in their statements as to its extent. The History of the Apostolate Since the research of Seifert, it has been known that the name of apostle was borne by itinerant preachers till about the middle of the second century, after which time its use in the wider sense disappeared, and that this disappearance was in the closest connection with the strife over Paul's claim to be called an apostle. Now, if our epistles were written by Paul at the time ordinarily assigned, we should have to suppose that the conception of the twelve apostles, as a closed circle, was already existent that the right of Paul to a name which was, nevertheless, freely accorded to all kinds of persons, till long afterwards, was passionately contested, and that the cessation of apostles from the middle of the second century was the consequence of a struggle carried on a hundred years earlier. If, on the other hand, the real, as distinguished from the imaginary contest, was between the Paulinists of the end of the first or the beginning of the second century, and their opponents, the cessation of the name was its natural result, and the whole sequence becomes intelligible. The tradition that Jesus chose twelve apostles is legendary. It had at first a symbolical reference to the twelve tribes of Israel. For instance, Revelation chapter 21 verse 14, Matthew chapter 19 verse 28. When this notion of the twelve first arose, it did not exclude other apostles. Gradually, however, it fixed itself, and, as the fixation became established, the enemies of Paulinism made use of it to contest the claim of the great apostle to bear the name at all. Thus, the title, in the wider sense, came to be disused, and though the Paulinists had no interest in facilitating the disuse, they could only maintain the claims of their own apostle by acquiescing in it and finding the means of numbering Paul among apostles in the narrower sense. The only apostles, properly so called, were henceforth the Twelve and Paul. The Revelation of John Whatever may be the origin of the Apocalypse as a whole, 
the opening and the conclusion and of the opening especially chapters two and three bear marks of a later date the communities addressed have evidently been in existence a considerable time and have had a varied history now it is precisely in these two chapters that we find unmistakable traces of a hostile attitude to pauline christianity the persons who call themselves apostles and are not chapter two verse two who call themselves jews and are not chapter two verse nine chapter three verse nine who teach to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication chapter two verses fourteen and twenty that is no doubt to marry within the prohibited degrees of the jewish law who have a mysterious doctrine of their own which is alluded to as knowing the depths of satan chapter two verse twenty four are evidently the authors or adherents of the teaching expounded from its own point of view in the pauline epistles this teaching then being so sharply opposed in a late document may be inferred to be not so old as is commonly thought paul himself it is true does not seem to be attacked though his name is not included among those who alone are recognized as apostles in the special sense namely the twelve chapter twenty one verse fourteen what is opposed is the direction rather than the person at the same time while the author is no paulinist he is no narrow-minded jewish christian but includes along with the one hundred forty four thousand sons of israel who believe an innumerable multitude of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues chapter seven verse nine he is in fact a disciple of jesus whose ideas have widened independently of the pauline direction of thought the fourth gospel the view that has been taken of the development of early christianity derives support from the historical conception that may be found underlying the fourth gospel jesus there repeatedly sets forth his claim as the word made flesh the son of god yet the disciples even those that have most insight never really understand anything beyond his messiahship if nathaniel recognizes him as the son of god chapter one verse fifty this means only that he is the king of israel the messiah compare with chapter one verse forty six not that he is the son of god in a metaphysical sense first conceived by the pauline school accordingly he tells his disciples that after his departure the paraclete will instruct them in the truth which they do not now comprehend chapter fifteen verse twenty six to the author of the gospel the true history was evidently still known though in accordance with his method he throws it all back into the time of jesus and his disciples in reality it was a later generation which instructed as was held by the holy ghost had come to look upon jesus as the son of god the incarnate logos 
and the writer shows his consciousness of this by the way in which he makes all the contemporaries of jesus without exception fail to perceive his real character as a divine person the preaching of peter in the known fragments of the preaching of peter the name of paul does not once occur and there is no allusion to him it is peter who preaches christianity as a universal religion for the tubingen school with its antitheses of pauline or universal and petrine or jewish christianity this is an embarrassing fact from the point of view here set forth it is additional confirmation of the late origin of paulinism we see that at the beginning of the second century the universalizing movement was adrift not confined to one circle and could not go on without reference to paul and perhaps without knowledge that elsewhere he was held to have been the father of the whole movement so far as it aimed at setting christianity free from the shackles of judaism peter could equally well be made its apostolic representative philo the writer or writers of the principal epistles betray acquaintance with philo though the relation is by no means one of servile dependence philo was a man of advanced age in the year forty thus the dates do not exclude acquaintance of the historical paul with his writings but they make it very improbable the tent-maker of tarsus who had just received what he took to be a new revelation and had zealously devoted himself to spreading it over the world would scarcely find time to consult the recent works of the jewish philosopher of alexandria and if we suppose him before he became a christian that is before thirty six a d to have had the leisure to study those works so profoundly that he afterwards involuntarily reproduced their modes of thought and expression the difficulty is only increased assume on the other hand that the pauline writings are of later date there is no difficulty the works of philo have had time to circulate and their ideas to become diffused and so can have influenced paul as it is admitted by many that they influenced the authors of the epistle to the hebrews and of the fourth gospel the influence was really exercised not on men of practical missionary activity close to philo's own time but on religious thinkers among the developing christian communities towards the end of the first or the beginning of the second century seneca the affinity between paul and seneca is so striking that it even led to the fiction of a correspondence between them the supposition that seneca had read the epistles of paul is refuted by comparison of the dates of his work with that of paul's arrival according to the story at rome up to which time he can have known nothing of him that paul knew works of seneca is not absolutely excluded by the dates but as seneca born about two a d 
died sixty-five, was some years younger than Philo, it is even more improbable that the apostle had read the Roman than that he had read the Alexandrian philosopher. On the supposition of a later date for the writer or writers of the Pauline epistles, there is, as before, no difficulty. Justin It is disputed by no one that Justin does not mention Paul and his epistles, and never quotes from them literally. For him, the twelve apostles are even symbolized by the twelve bells on the robe of the high priest. Exodus chapter 28 verses 33 through 34. Yet on some points his views are exactly those of Paulinism, while on others he takes the opposite view. He condemned as unchristian the eating of the sacrificial meat of the heathen, though some of his contemporaries agreed with Paul in thinking it permissible. The usual explanation is that the epistles had not yet become canonical. Hence Justin could take his own view about the points discussed in them. Still, it is difficult to think of him as treating thus lightly documents he held to have been written a century before by an apostle. And it is curious that we should find exactly those questions about Jewish customs which are said to have been the subject of vehement controversy in Paul's time, still actual for Justin and his contemporaries. The obvious solution is that the epistles date only from a little before Justin's time, and that he had read them or heard them read, but did not take them to be of apostolic authorship. He and his friends were universalizing Christianity in their own way, independently of the Pauline influence. The deeper going thought put forth under the name of the Apostle, while in some respects they agreed with it, was, on the whole, too strong for them. Whether on one line or the other, the transformation of a Jewish sect into a world religion did not begin in the time of Paul, but had its origin in movements of thought and feeling certainly not earlier than the destruction of Jerusalem. Irenaeus Among the writers held for orthodox, Irenaeus is the first of those whose writings have come down to us, who treats the epistles of Paul as canonical. This, however, is not out of any superabundance of affection for the contents, but because he wishes to beat his Gnostic enemies with their own weapons. His aim is to prove that Paul's old friends, the Gnostics, have not understood him. The great apostle must be conveyed from the heretics in the interests of the Catholic Church. Modern writers, however, have blamed Irenaeus unjustly for failing to recognize the historical glory of Paul. In not assigning to him any special significance as compared with the older apostles, he was simply adhering to the ordinary tradition of Christendom outside Gnostic circles. Tertullian The attitude of Tertullian is similar. 
he recognizes Paul, but gives him no special place, in distinction from the twelve, as the great apostle of the heathen. He knew that the epistles did not originally belong to the circle of the communities esteemed orthodox, but all the same he can turn to account the authority of the apostle of the heretics, as he does not scruple to call him, against those who first appealed to him. Against Marcion, Book 3, Chapter 5. There is no reason whatever for accusing him of a deliberate falsification of history, with which, in our sense of the word, he is little concerned. On the historical side, he reproduces the tradition current in his surroundings. On the doctrinal side, he endeavors to show that Paul was at one with those who, before him, were divinely appointed to teach the true faith. Everything in his attitude, as in that of Irenaeus, confirms the view that the Pauline writings arose outside of what became the Orthodox Church tradition, but that that tradition found it convenient to appropriate them. And this explains, for one thing, why they were made canonical at a later period than writings like the Gospels, which, on the ordinary modern theory, had appeared so long after them. The Clementines In the Clementine homilies and recognitions, though the name of Paul does not occur, Paulinism is attacked. Paul, however, is not systematically caricatured as Simon Magus, who is the representative of the heretical gnosis generally. Only in one passage, 17th homily, paragraph 19, does he come forward as if he were Paul, the author of the epistle to the Galatians, and that passage is quite isolated, and would seem to be either an interpolation or an insertion made in the definitive edition of the homilies. Paul's representative, the man who is an enemy, is clearly distinguished from Simon, and is supposed to have come later, and both have been preceded in their activity among the heathen by a preaching of the gospel in the spirit of Peter. This order of events in the Clementine Romance, so far as it goes, confirms the view that has been taken as to the subsequence of the Pauline doctrine to the teaching of the original disciples of Jesus. Peter and Paul at Rome The legend has been put on record by Dionysius of Corinth, Irenaeus, and a whole cloud of witnesses, that Peter and Paul jointly founded the Christian community at Rome. This does not agree with earlier data, such as those of the New Testament, Acts chapter 28 verse 15, Romans chapter 1 verses 10 through 13, chapter 15 verses 22 through 24, which exclude Paul almost expressly and Peter tacitly as the founder. But what is the explanation of it? An explanation that has found favor with modern criticism is that it was an invention of peace-loving Catholics to cover over the actual strife that had existed between the two apostles. 
This, however, would have been a rather hopeless attempt. For the partisans to be reconciled could have made the obvious reply, in the absence of any previous tradition, but neither Peter nor Paul did found the community. Besides, it would not have followed from their having been joint founders that they had always been good friends. We must bear in mind that legends, while they may and do grow out of what actually happened, are not deliberately thought out in order to throw a veil over events it is desired should be forgotten. The true historical kernel of the legend is no other than this, that at the time when it arose, that is, in the second half of the second century, the community at Rome could be described as, in some sense, based on Peter and Paul. We must understand by the names, however, not the historical persons, but the two directions in which the Christian sect had been universalizing itself. The legend personifies religious movements, and, while representing them as born at the same time, it has unconsciously rescued from oblivion the true order of their appearance by always naming Peter before Paul. This order is preserved even when both are said to have been the founders of the community at Corinth, where we should expect Paul to come first. In the epistles attributed to the Clemens Romanos, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and to Ignatius, Romans chapter 4, the same order is retained when the two apostles are mentioned. The fact here indicated is that the disciples of Jesus preceded the Paulinists, among the heathen as well as among the Jews. The Christmas Festival Investigating the mode in which Christmas Day came to be fixed, Eusner has shown how the idea of the Son of God, and with it the observance of festival days to commemorate his successive manifestations on earth, arose not in the circle of strictly Jewish thought, but through the Eastern Gnosis in contact with polytheistic mythologies. From the Gnostics, the Catholic Church appropriated the festivals, as it appropriated so much besides. This evidently supports the conclusion that Paulinism was of late and not purely Jewish origin, for the principal epistles have a developed Christology. Eusner, indeed, does not recognize this, but treats them, in passing, as not strongly developed in the Christological sense. If, however, the foregoing expositions of the Pauline Christology are sound, if the principal epistles contain the doctrine of a supernatural Christ, the Son of God, descended from heaven and become temporarily one with Jesus of Nazareth, the admission of their genuineness would overthrow this otherwise well-established conclusion that these ideas did not first arise in circles that were in close and original contact with Judaism. The admission, on the contrary, 
that they were not written by Paul the Jew would confirm at a critical point the result of Eusner's investigations, as those investigations reciprocally confirm the conclusion arrived at with regard to the epistles. The Development of Christianity It is among the enduring merits of Bauer and his school that they made an end once for all of the tacit assumption that the Christianity of the first two or three centuries had no development, that it was from the first what it afterwards became. Their formula, indeed, Petrinism and Paulinism, in sharp opposition during the lifetime of the apostles, and afterwards reconciled in Catholicism, did not give permanent satisfaction. But the attempts since made to return to the traditional view have still more completely failed. What was needed was that more stages should be recognized, and that a longer time should be allowed for the development. These conditions are fulfilled if we place Paulinism considerably later than the teaching of the early disciples, Paul included. The disciples, whom we may associate with Peter, remained pious Jews. They were called saints, or holy ones, not in an ethical sense, but in the old Israelitish sense of consecrated to God. They taught the things concerning Jesus, their crucified master, whom they held to be the Messiah. It is thus quite intelligible, their difference from other Jews being so slight, that they hardly drew attention in their own time, that they passed unnoticed or almost unnoticed, not only by the Greek and Roman writers of those days, but even by a Jewish historian like Josephus. In the meantime, the great events in Judea which ended with the destruction of Jerusalem could not be without influence on them. Some disciples, no doubt, were already less attached to the law than others, and increased contact with the Greco-Roman world must have accelerated the broadening movement, which, as we have seen, was not exclusively Pauline. Paulinism sprang up, as the Johannine direction did later, and probably in another circle, in close connection with the germinating Gnosis. It was a reform of a character so deep-going that it has the appearance, rather, of a new creation. Some reacted angrily against it. These we call the Judaists. They are to be distinguished from the early disciples, whose beliefs were of a more indeterminate character. The moderate men who took up a balancing position between the extreme Paulinists and the extreme Judaists were those who succeeded in forming Catholic Christianity. The Judaizers, who went too far, received, as a reward for their zeal, a place as heretical Ebionites. Finally, Paul, after a period during which he was looked upon with suspicion, though not irrevocably condemned by the Catholics along with the heretical Gnostics inspired by him, 
could be received into the pantheon of the great men who as pre-eminently apostles the twelve with the addition of one had been empowered to lay down the law of faith and conduct for the present and future generations six the antiquity of the book though the date of our epistle cannot be precisely determined we are in a position to mark out certain sharply defined limits within which its origin must fall it cannot be placed before the end of the first nor after the middle of the second century the indications of past events and movements of opinion exclude an earlier period while the reference in extant writings of known authorship exclude a later a somewhat more precise fixation of the date can be ventured with the help of what is known as to the use made of the epistle by basilides and marcion basilides was active at alexandria about one twenty five or one thirty a d marcion first came forward at rome about one thirty eight and for both paul was the apostle putting these and other circumstances together we may conclude that the epistle was extant at the earliest of these dates perhaps in a shorter form than the canonical though it may not have been extant more than a few years it did not necessarily take long for a writing to become authoritative for certain circles the more exact limit then on this side of the undoubted existence of the epistle being one twenty five a d we may date it approximately one twenty a d the pieces that were taken up into it may be ten to twenty years older end of part two chapters five and six